We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Just two very quick announcements before we get you to the uh, fascinating interview with the always insightful top trainer and author, Grandmaster Jakob Augard. Number one, this was recorded before the Sinkfield Cup in those innocent days before the chess world went crazy. So Grandmaster Augard has tons of insights about lots of topics, but we did not discuss the Magnus Carlsen-Hans Niemann controversy. Uh, you'll have to listen to other pods or consume the rest of the chess internet to get that. I did want to mention Grandmaster Augard wrote a blog post about his experiences with Hans Niemann uh, in the early days of that controversy. And I'll link to that if you would like to read it. And I also wanted to remind you 
you guys, please subscribe to the free email news list at Perpetual Chess Link Fest to help you all keep up with all that stuff. Uh, I'm putting a lot of work into this, uh, tracking links and then sending them out every Friday. And all I ask for in return is to see that little number of subscribers go up. So please sub if you are interested and tell your friends if you think they'd find it helpful. All right, let's get you to a great interview with Grandmaster Agard. Here it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined by a favorite return guest and author. He is a multi-award winning author, a trainer, a rejuvenated OTB chess player. His newest book, A Matter of Endgame Technique, is nearly 900 pages long, but it did just go to a second printing due to popular demand. At least one person read the whole book. That is me. And as always, the book is highly readable. Uh, Lots to learn from it, packed with information. You would be surprised how many instructive mistakes one can spot, even from Grandmaster Games. So uh, excited to discuss the book and all the other happenings in the chess world, which are immense. So let's welcome Grandmaster Jakob Agar back to the show. Welcome, Jakob. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Yeah, excited to catch up. There is just so much to talk about, Jakob. And I've been, you know, we've been knowing we'd be doing this interview for a few months now. It's taken me more than a month to read your book uh, just to get ready. And meanwhile, the news just keeps coming. The Olympiad, as we record this today, um, Iragasi just won the Abu Dhabi, one of the strongest open tournaments of the year. We're recording this Thursday, August 25th. This actually won't be out for a few weeks. Um, and prior to that, of course, Gukash dominated the Olympiad. And this all jibes with something you've been saying on your Facebook page. You had a quote that I flagged way back on June 21st, which is, you said... I looked up results from the Indian Under-14 Championship. Click on the link and be shocked. There's a tidal wave coming in chess like nothing seen before in history. It can, of course, be attributed to Viswanathan Anand making chess popular in India and to the great respect intellectualism has in Indian culture. But to me, the great hero is Sir Bharat Singh, perhaps the most important chess personality on the 21st century. Um, so, Jakob, I, I give the floor to you to just talk about what you've seen from young Indian players. And as you mentioned in this post, what you attribute this um, um huge ascension okay i can tell you about the origin of this post here because it, it's sort of a little bit of a, a sequel of some so first i had uh, seen some uh, tournament somewhere and i don't remember where uh people can go back in my facebook feed and find it if they're very interested around april uh, and i saw this player uh untitled uh, 2000 rated player from india uh rated around 2000 was uh, sharing the the top positions with IMs and GMs in this open, which I don't remember which one. It was not a famous one. And I he had four and a half out of six. So I just clicked on his results. So in the first round, he had lost to a 1,500-rated Indian. Then there was some draw very early on, and then he made it to two and a half out of four. Then he beat a GM and beat an IM. And then he was, uh, you know, uh, up there in joined join third, I think, with with four and a half out of six. And I sort of like to just take a photo of it and thought it was, was just funny and, and so on. And then like a month later, I, th I was like, oh, I never got back to see what actually happened in that tournament. So I tried to find the tournament first. It totally failed. Uh, all that and uh, technology and these kind of things. And I, uh, I then went back on my Facebook thread. I found him. I couldn't find the tournament still. I went to 
Fide to find the tournament using his name. And then when I was there, I got distracted because I saw, oh, Indian under 14. How did he do there? And I clicked on that. And this kid, because I had actually told the GM he had beaten was a Vietnamese GM. And uh, the girlfriend of this GM is a member of our academy. And, and she had said, no, no, he, he played really well and so on. And I, I clicked on this under uh, under 14 championship. This very promising kid had played, and he got totally killed. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so it's just like you have no idea what's happening. It's wow. like you know when when I first traveled India, sort of there were two things, two shocking experiences for me. The second one will take first because it's just a, a standalone thing. Uh, we were in Calcutta and there was this guy who had organized uh, the talk and, and the training and so on I was doing in Calcutta. He said, yeah, at the moment he's trying to bring uh, chess to all the schools of Bengal. I said, oh, is there a lot of schools? No, 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 just 10,000. Right. And I was thinking, I don't think there's 10,000 schools in Scotland. I'm not sure there's 2,000 schools in Scotland. Is there 1,000? Maybe. It's sort of like at the cusp, right? And it just blew my mind. But the first story was even more absurd. So um, it's a really nice guy from Ahmedabad, which uh, is a, a small Indian town you probably never heard of, of only 5 million people. Uh, this is where Modi, the uh, prime minister, is from. And uh, so anyway, we were one evening we were at his parents' house, uh, Ankit Dalai is the guy, and, and he'll say, oh, yeah, I'm organizing now a state championship of Gujarat. I say, oh, that's nice, and so on. So, yeah, we have a lot of qualification tournaments all the way out in the villages and so on. Oh, how many play in that? Oh, 100,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was like a me. And I, I like, and he said, no, no, no. But, you know, some of them, they don't really know the rules. And it's like it's in the villages. I'm like, 100,000. So the next year, he got this fantastic idea of, you know, Indians are not not rich. Like the 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 monthly average salary is like a few hundred dollars. And he got this idea of organizing trips for Indian kids to go and play in Spain. So they would travel together as a big group. They would play three tournaments, and then they would go home. And I think he brought like something like sixty, seventy kids to Spain, and they played three tournaments. And they came home with something like 10,000 rating points. I believe Like 10,000 rating points just left Europe to India. <laughs> and you go to India and you see these tournaments and they're like all 1,400 and they know the theory and they are really, really good because there's such an influx of players and they're really competitive and they're really trying and everyone sort of has a belief that they're the new Anand or the new... Vidid or the new uh, Irigasi or something like that. And they're really, really fighting. And then some people like Ramesh, for example, when his students were ready, they never played in India again. They go to Europe and they just become instant grandmasters. They go from like 2100 to instant grandmasters when they're ready. And what's happening now is more and more of these Indian kids are going to tournaments. And they are killing it. And next year I'll be fifty. I'll play play only senior tournaments, and I'll never play them. <laughs> and it's young guys like you who have to suffer. And I will just sit there and say, "Told you so." 
<laughs> nice of <laughs> nice of you to put me in the young category. I've only got a a handful of years myself, but it's uh oh, if only it was me. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it's um, it is amazing, and obviously it starts at the top. I mean, we've had these recent dominant performances by by Gukesh and Iragasi. Um, so Prakananda we in the, the FX Cup. Yeah, exactly. So if we were to fast forward, say, 10 years, Jakob, like what percent, how many of the top 20 do you think will be from India? So that, that's, I normally consider the top five to be the first uh, 10 players. This yeah. is, I know that sounds weird, but there's this cir- circling all the time. And yeah. the same thing, top 20 for me is actually... The question is, who is number uh, 11 and who is number 30? Yeah. Um, so, well, it's one of the waves coming, but I'm sure that uh, you haven't missed that there's also an Iranian wave and there's also an Uzbeki wave. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, the Indian is bigger because it's such a huge population uh, behind it and because Bharat is traveling around and and making things happen all the time, helping, trying to put this extra stuff in. He's the guy who, with four months' notice or five months' notice, found $12.5 million and organized an Olympiad. And some people who went there didn't really like it. Other people say it's the best Olympiad they ever went to out of 10. Um, Whatever it is, it was very last minute, and uh, it was a real tournament. And it was it was it was massive and it was great. And if you imagine that is what he does all the time in India, then you can see that this is not um, he is affected this, but there's also lots and lots of other people who are equally pushing and trying to create it. So um, top twenty, let's say eight. Eight? Okay. I would have guessed higher based on what you've said, but yeah, we've got to make No, but, 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 you know, there will always be like this individual from somewhere else. We, we should not totally, totally write off Russians. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> also, Ukraine currently uh, doesn't have any, any players really in the top, but uh, this is an outlier. Uh, and you could also say, what about young Armenians, young Aseris? They could also be coming through. A, a, a more interesting question is probably how many uh, players in top 20 will be over the age of 35? Yeah. That's just... <laughs> I, I think for once it's going to be not many. Um, but you, you, you follow me, my things on, on Facebook, so you've probably seen that actually at the moment the – Average age of top twenty-five is higher than it normally is. Yeah, I will see how long that lasts. Yeah, it's it's at the moment it's thirty-two. It used to be around between thirty and thirty-one for it was very stable for a long time, uh, but it's actually grown uh, because you you get these waves of generations, new generation coming. There was one with you know Kramnik and Topalov and Shirov and Loche uh, at the same time. And they lasted for a very long time. And now we have the, the 1990 uh, generation. We have Nepomniachi, we have Kayakin, we have Carlson. Uh, Sam is 91. 
and the, and there are other players from around that age who also will be be hanging for around time. But it's sort of if anything's random, it will come in clusters. Otherwise, it's evenly laid out, you know. But it randoms comes in clusters, and now we have a big cluster coming, and it's really big. Yeah, and obviously, it seems like all these young phenoms are taking turns making headlines. You're really up on their games. You you discuss a few of the players as their games come up in the book. But um, I tried to get an answer from Fabiano, who I interviewed yesterday, Jakob. Um, is there any one player you would tap as like uh, most likely to be future world champion out of all these young upstarts? Well, there's two. Uh, we'll out too. We'll out too. There is two, and and I'm happy to to choose one of them. Um, so it's Gukash and it's Abdus Satorov. and it was beautiful that the Olympiad was decided in a game between the two of them. Uh, yeah, slugfest. Oh yeah, it was. Um, uh, you know, at the moment Gukash seems like he's stronger, but. What we saw in that game and what we've seen from uh, Abdus Satorov also in the Rapid World Championship, where he was worse in quite a few games, is that he is such a competitor. And this is one of, um, you know, for killer chess training, I write these little essays sometimes. We send out his newsletters. Just, you know, we want to say like, okay, this is happening, this is happening, this is not happening, this one played a tournament. And then we sort of want to give people an inspiration to actually open the email and read these notifications. So we send, uh, I write these little essays. And one of them that's coming down the line is about predators. And it was um, not inspired by it, but I immediately recognized when I was talking about it with a student uh, that it's the Carlson thing, be a shark. Right. You know, he said about Nepomniachtchi, which is what, what is a predator? Like you, I know you're in love with, with my my dog Lucy. She is a predator. She is a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, really. Yeah. Uh, she's so sweet and tender and so on. And then she goes and kills some little animal and eats it and comes back and smiles. And there's no feeling of regret or anything. She just kills, eats, and devours. And it it just doesn't change her relations with the world this is natural and this is what Carlson is like Carlson is such a great player in so many ways and sort of what feels like is happening at the moment is he's he's getting a little bit mild maybe but what has been characteristic with him so many times is that he is a total predator and if you take Kasparov this is also what he was the natural order here the food chain is I eat you and you have no right to complain about it. Right. You know, you, you, even when you resist, it's an insult. <laughs> so, so this is what I see with Abdus Satorov. Gukes is an amazing player, and he's also younger by, I think, more, more than a year even. So, Yeah, and comes across as very pleasant-mannered. But he did an interview with Levy Rosman recently where he did say after that game, um, against Abdus Satorov, which for listeners who aren't familiar with it, uh, Gukesh was in the driver's seat. He was still undefeated at the time. It seemed to things, have things totally under control. But um, 
But Abdusatra, I've just kept the game going. Suddenly they're in an imbalanced but equal position. And then uh, Gukesh just wore down and made a mistake. But anyway, he said that he broke something after that game. He was so upset that he lost. But you had something to say, Jakob? Yeah, I definitely have something to say because you, you, you said something there that hurt my soul. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, okay, because what what's happened recently in chess, like one of the biggest development, and you should do a podcast with uh, correspondence players or computer programmers who knows much more about this than I do. I only can see it in the result. Stockfish 15 is exceptional. The step from 14 to 15 is beyond belief. And it might have single-handedly ended correspondence chess, but what it also does is it creates a mirage where a position that is objectively drawn through best play is suddenly considered equal. It says 0.00 equal, and it is, it is a mirage. No, what it means is the computer can see so deeply that it says you do not win. But what happened in... Uh, in the Gukes after Satorov game was uh, out of the opening uh, after Satorov was very slightly uh, better at some point. If you want to look it up, anyone, it's like 16, most 16, you can play knight c3. I analyzed it, but there's also good an- analysis on chess.com uh, of this game. So uh, you don't have to have to beg for my analysis. Um, but then instead it went to a sort of equal position and then after Satorov made some positional mistakes and he ended up with a weak C-pawn that eventually he lost. There was a one point where Gukes could have won in one move and moved 28. But anyway, so he loses the C-pawn, and they have a, an endgame with queen and knight against queen and bishop. And Gukes struggles to find the plan, and Abdusatov just keeps it going so that he doesn't have to... Uh, you know, there's no win that can be calculated. There's not no direct win. It's just like he has to actually win the game. And what I think really, really upset Gukesh and was that, and I, I listened to Levi Rossman's interview as well, was that uh, around, by move 45, he played move king b2, and then after that it, it was actually defensible for black. Before then it was not. And then by this point, uh, Pragnananda was on the way to winning. Uh, Rook and Pornan. No, no, Pragnananda on board three. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, was on the way to winning, and and the two other games had already been drawn. So they are on the way to winning the Olympiad with winning, with uh, winning with Prague and and Gukes making a draw. Uh, there were still some technical difficulties for Prague. He was struggling a little bit, um, but Gukes he sort of couldn't. Couldn't get himself to uh, to not play for a win. The position is is quite winning still, uh, just before it. But then we get into the, uh, you know, the man in the casino trying to win his money back mm-hmm. because he cannot let go of he was so winning. Rather than, you know, let's let's just win, wrap this up, win the Olympiad, and uh, nobody will remember. Uh, and there is some sort of. Um, Romanticism, uh, sort of, which you know, I have, and maybe you have, and most people have. It. There's a humanity. He's not a, a, a stone cold killer. He's not a shark. 
And what happened then is they get into a much more complicated version of this endgame. Both of them have passed pawns. And at some point, there are draws for white. And in the end, uh, Gukes blunders a piece. But he's already low on time. Uh, he has to make many good moves to make the draw. And to call that equal is simply a sin. Sorry for the long explanation, but it, it's so No, your hurts. explanation w- was so much better than mine and uh, of the game, and uh, your point is well taken. Um, so one other thing on these young phenoms, Jakob, because we got a lot to discuss, is uh, you also highlighted in in the book, um, you're, you'd worked a bit with uh, Pragananda's sister, who you mentioned you think is going to be one of the uh, top woman players in the world. So uh, what impressed you about... Uh, um, you might need to help me with the pronunciation, but uh, Vaishali's game, Jakob. Um, I think uh, she's grandmaster level already, and she was already this three years ago. So I work with both uh, Vaishali and Prague uh, a number of times, and Murli and uh, Aravind, um, and also I worked with, with Raunak. He came also to, to visit our house. And who else was in team? Adiban. Adiban's a good friend of the ours also. Yeah. yeah, and Gukes once came to a lecture I gave in Thailand and sat and said nothing. <laughs> um, and then later we spoke very little and he played some blitz with Christopher Ewan Reykjavik. So I have actually spoken to him, but I, I cannot say anything. And Nihal once was in a class uh, at our academy, but he was like a guest solver and so on. But technically, I have I have been training all five of them at some point, but really not. Uh, ma- mainly Prague uh, a bit and, and Raunak uh, a few days. Um, but regarding Vaishali, um, I, th- I thought she was a, f- a fabulous player. She's a hard worker. She's a very serious person. Uh, at the same time, she had a... Uh, the kind of personality where things go wrong, she just continues. And uh, and she really, really likes chess. Really, really likes it. I, th- I, I think she's a very likely world champion. Wow. And uh, although I think Gukes and Abdusatorov are bigger talents, and you know, it's they are all just talents now. Uh, there, there's nothing to say that Pragnananda cannot be the one who takes the big step forward. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, they're all on, at such a high level, but it also feels like they're taking turns lately in the spotlight with just like, uh, it's almost like one-upsmanship. I mean, uh, again, if you look at like from from Gukesh's performance in the Olympiad to immediately Aragasi wins uh, Abu, Abu, this Abu Dhabi Open in um, really impressive fashion, uh, Paco Vallejo tweeted that he's already one of the top five players in the world. I don't know... Uh, I don't. I don't know how you feel about that, but he's certainly moving that direction. Uh, maybe he is. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but it's very obvious that India B would have uh, won the Olympiad if Irigasi had uh, been there instead of of Adiban. I think uh, Adiban played well. Um, actually, played really well, and he did well. But if they had Irigasi to to put in as well in, in the top and Raunak was a reserve. Uh, like all of the Indian players played well, so but it would just be a little more. Like Irigasi on on like say we put him on on board uh, board two 
and you get Pragnananda down on board four. <laughs> what team is that? You know, um, but but it's 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 actually possible that India decides to uh, field an, uh, a team entirely of juniors. In uh, I think Eric Garcia will turn nineteen this year, so he will not be a junior. But but kids who are now juniors that will be their team in two years. Yeah, amazing to think about. All right. Well, we've got a lot of other topics to cover, so we're going to take a break and we will be right back with uh, Grandmaster Jakob Agard. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by AimChess.com. AimChess has an algorithm which reviews your games from the major chess playing sites and then gives you actionable information about what to work on. I haven't been playing as much Blitz lately, just been busy with family stuff. And when I review my games, it shows. My openings are still good, but I need to work on my tactics, my end games, my advantage capitalization, and some other stuff. The good news is that Aim Chess has the tools to help you work on those things. You can review the specific tactics that you missed within the game among countless other features. So you can check out Aim Chess for free, and then if you do decide to subscribe, use the code PERPETUAL30 to save 30% on the first month, or you can also use the link in the show description for aimchess.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we are back. And again, we're recording this on August 25th. This won't be out for a few weeks. But Jakob is the lucky person who is the first person I interview since we had some uh, business news break in the chess world, which is that uh, chess.com is acquiring the Play Magnus group. Now, Jakob, again, I follow him on Facebook. He's been slightly more active on Twitter lately as well. So, And he's not one to um, shy from expressing his opinions, whether it be about uh, politics or business or whatever it may be. Um, so let's kick it over to you, Jakob. How did you react? What were your th- first thoughts when you heard this news that two of the biggest uh, for-profit chess companies in the world are combining? Um, my first thought was uh, it, it was sort of a, a bittersweet thing. On the one hand, I have been worried for a while about the the Play Magnus Group's uh, performance because there's really a lot of uh, good people who are relying on their income and their livelihood and so on from from uh, the success of this group and i read their uh, statement uh, the, the the quarterly statement number 1 of 2022 and i also read parts of 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 the recent one and they seemed quite uh, delusional in the sense of it was talking about an unexpected downturn in the market which is like the end of the Queen's Gambit effect and the end of COVID. Like the idea that we were all going to be locked up forever, I I don't see that as a business plan. So that sounded to me a little bit unrealistic. Also, their projections of growth to a, a revenue of 100 million in a few years, while most of their income streams were flatlining. Actually, the only thing that was increasing was sponsorship for their tour, so the sponsorship alone, if we had to say everything continues as it was at that point, would have to generate another 60 million, which was not going to happen. 
Um, so I was I was worried about this, the soundness of the group because there's really a lot of people uh, in chess which have, uh, have formed a livelihood around this. Uh, so on the one hand, it was for me quite a relief, even though I, I, I don't have a stake in this, this personally at all. And, um, but it's a relief for me that a lot of good people will, will be fine. You know, um, some people will lose their jobs when there's a merger, but a lot of people will also be fine. Um, on the other hand, I'm not sure it's healthy for for the chess community to have such a dominant uh, force. Um, I would imagine it means less tournaments uh, with, with, with prices because there's no incentive to uh, compete with each other. I would imagine that it sort of could could be a little bit like Amazon has has become that if you shop online you go to Amazon first and if you can't find it there you go elsewhere which for um, maybe for our businesses could could mean we could get a little bit squeezed we're so small and and uh, uh, and uh, peripheral that you know we, we are not their competitors and I don't think, I, I actually don't think it, it, it will, will really hurt us. I should uh, mention, sorry, but, just to uh, jump in for a second. I should have mentioned when I introduced you, the co-founder of Quality Chess Books is the specific business that Jakob is yeah, referring to. Yeah, Quality Chess and Killer Chess Training, uh, yeah. which is an academy. We, we just call Quality Chess. Um, and, but we do, we do chess books, yes. And uh, I think we do it quite well also. Uh, As do I. And, 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 and I think that will be fine. Uh, and and we're a sound company and our academy is a sound company. And, um, you, you, well, my, my hobby is playing guitars and you've seen I have plenty. So, because <laughs> there's some, as I showed you some before we started. Um, like, we, we're fine. Uh, we, we're going to be around and we're going to keep doing our thing. And uh, if we get a little squeezed, then we'll still be still be fine so uh so that on a, like on a personal level it, it it didn't really affect me so much but maybe i think it can be bad for for chess in general and there were a lot of people who had this feeling i i also thought the way the the video with danny wrench and, and carlson that that he looked quite uncomfortable Magnus. <laughs> like he's not used to losing and it felt sort of like that was what had happened. Um, but, you know, I hope they prove us wrong. Uh, yeah. That chess.com will, will turn this into something great that will benefit chess. Yeah. I, I have a few things to add, Jakob, because first of all, I'm one of the, the perpetual chess is one of the businesses you mentioned. Uh, obviously, Chessable and Aim Chess are both under the Play Magnus umbrella and are significant sponsors. So it's possible the podcast could be impacted over the long term. Um, but I, I again, like you, over the short term, certainly nothing changes. And I also saw all the mixed reactions online, but there's also... Um, there's great potential. I mean, first of all, obviously, uh, the the chess as a spectacle fans are certainly excited to see Magnus and Hikaru compete more often in sort of speed events. Um, I also had the thought that, um, to me, there's maybe more potential runway for even just a separate 
faction. Like, I mean, we've had the FIDE election uh, recently, and there's the FIDE World Championship, but it seems almost like a new axis of power, albeit a corporate one. Do you think that there's any potential of like a separate actual tournament faction, Jakob? Um, I think uh, it would be very dangerous for chess.com to start having organizing world championships. Um, there will certainly be quite a lot of people um, who rely on state sponsorships or federational support or in other ways just feel that it's not for an organization, a private organization that's not democratic in any sense uh, to to start organizing uh, the world championship. I know that in American sports, you like to call your national leagues for the world or the universe league or whatever, the world series, for example, which right. is a national league. Um, but I think it would be a, a poor move from uh, chess.com. And I don't think that FIDE is in competition with chess.com. I don't think chess.com is in competition with FIDE. Um, I think if this great financial power that chess.com has at the moment, if that's sustained, then uh, probably a corporation with, with FIDE, which will be happy to be involved in great events and have their name on great events, uh, since FIDE doesn't make a profit or try to make a profit, I think... Um, could 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 also open for for good things, um, but but for sure, Fide was in a stronger position when they had uh, two competing uh, partners to uh, negotiate with. Related to what we were just discussing, which is the World Championship cycle, we have a question from Patreon subscriber Igor Feinstein. Thanks for supporting Perpetual Chess, Igor, and. You also have been outspoken about the World Championship cycle, both in our prior conversations and elsewhere. And Igor asks, he says, now that Magnus Carlsen has declined to defend his title, should FIDE at least consider instituting a new World Championship format that would be different from the traditional match? For example, one idea may be to have the player who performs best overall in three or four major tournaments become the champion. What would be the pros and cons of a system like that or something similar? Uh, Yes, they should. Uh, however, uh, I think you have to uh, understand certain things, which is that the system, however you design it, should end in a match. Now, I would have uh, uh, I would have certain requirements uh, and considerations, which I all think are natural. Um, first of all, we would want to have a system which uh, allows players to qualify. So there, there's no nepotism. There's no what we see generally in uh, the circuits at the moment uh, is that players are invited based on, um, you know, sometimes very spurious things. Like my very good friend Hans Niemann, uh, he he played in uh, this tournament in Miami, and uh, he he did not perform well. You know, famously he talked about walking into the ocean and not coming <laughs> back. And then from there on, it was downhill. But he had this one great moment where he beat Magnus and said, my chest speaks for itself. And I think, you know, some people thinking like, this is, a, you know, interesting and so on. And, and then Rapport uh, drops out of the Singfield Cup and they invite Hans Niemann. 
And I think that's sort of a little bit based on, oh, he's been improving and, oh, this was interesting and we need a replacement because we're starting in a few days. And they, they, they invited uh, uh, Hans Niemann, although there were maybe other players they also could have. And normally these things are not on objective grounds. And I think there uh, chess is a worse sport than other sports. Um, there are in the past players who have talked about um, being sidelined for various reasons. We remember that after Kasparov uh, withdrew a, a touch move against Polka and she was very upset about it, she was not invited back to Linares for years. After Ratabov won against Kasparov with Black, he was also blacklisted. Um, and and there, there are many other cases of in history of players who, for some reason, are not allowed to compete. Sometimes it's because they're not very nice people, and sometimes it's because not very nice people block their, uh, their participation. One of the most famous examples is Alekhine asking for double fee always if Capablanca was also playing in the same tournament. Hmm. Um, so I think in chess, we should have some objective with the world championship. First of all, we should have it uh, be exciting. We should have it be open for anyone based on merit. We should uh, not have it governed by really past results, but by current results. So the rating uh, spots simply have to go. Uh, having many avenues to uh, a qualification tournament sounds good. Having a qualification tournaments where the players don't want to make draws is for me a very high objective. And the same with a match. So when we get to a match, we notice from, from any sport that you don't prepare for the final if you are at the quarterfinal stage or the, the last 16. It just doesn't make sense because you don't make it to the final if you're not focused on the next match. So I would create a system where you do have a match in the end, but the space between what would be a semifinal, which is what the candidates is at the moment, and the match is not long. Let's say two weeks, a physical recovery time. And then you have a match, and then you don't have six months preparation of how to make a draw against the opponent, which yeah. is really what we're suffering from now. Another thing I would avoid, this is following statistics once published by Peter Heine Nielsen, that in world championship matches where the score was tied, which only happened from 2006 onwards, uh, then the, uh, the, whenever it was tied, the number of decisive games was 23%. And that has declined since. You know, uh, Now, the last match, there was a more uh, decisive games. But uh, when uh, the match is not tied, then we have a decisive game uh, of 46% according to Peter at that time. I simply believed him. It was my emotional experience the same, that uh, whenever it's a tie, there is a risk aversion from uh, both players, even though at some point there would be a decisive moment. It's rare we see someone taking a gamble in classical because they don't want to play a rapid, which is what happened in 2010. Instead, we see people not taking gambles, which happened in 16 and 18, and we get these rather dead fish of a rapid playoff where uh, it turned out one of them was much better at rapid than the other, and, and, and it wasn't very interesting. Um, while 
people say that's exciting. I didn't think those finishes were actually very exciting, but we could have them first. This is, idea was uh, floated first for t- in 2012, having a prequel, decide who has the draws. You could have a 13 or 15 game match. One player gets more whites, but has to win the match. The match would never be tied and it would end in a classical game. So for me, these things are logical and should be tried. Uh, And if they are not successful, uh, then there's no problem reverting. In chess, we had the, the tournament format, we had the knockout format. And we reverted very easily in other sports like soccer for uh, extra time. They had first the golden goal, then they had the silver goal, and then they, they scrapped it all and went back. This doesn't mean that going back is always the better thing. Uh, basketball in the U.S. never went back to two halves of, of 30 minutes uh, or 20 minutes or however long it is, 20, I think. I'm not a big basket guy. They always stayed with with the, the four session of uh, – is it 12 minutes or? Yeah, for 12 minute quarters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and other improvements in, in other sports, people never went back. In soccer, which uh, is a big sport outside US, uh, until 1992, you could pass the ball back to the goalkeeper and he could take it up with the hands. And oh my God, the Danish team, they did that a lot. The Euro <laughs> 1992. Peter Schmeichel had more uh, possession than any other player in the tournament with just holding <laughs> the ball in his hand. And then it came back to him. And then it was immediately banned and nobody ever looked back. And in the same way in chess, we might see that um, we want to counter what is happening on the engine front and the preparation front without necessarily shuffling the pieces or having a different starting position or or anything like that. And then uh, the next step for me seems to be reduce the preparation time to a draw, reduce the incentive. And the candidates are always exciting. The players come playing to win. And then when they have to make um, uh, draws or they don't care about the outcomes, most of them just continue to fight because that's how they prepared. Um. We had a very bad candidates now, but generally they have been fantastic. So um, I think there are technical solutions, um, but hoping that the problems of previous matches will disappear by itself is not what I would go for. Okay. I, I definitely like the idea of lessening the, the prep time. And, and yeah. I mean, also, I think- yeah, I would, I would put the world champion earlier in the cycle, uh, but it's clear that he also has to be present uh, at some point. Now, the downside of this format, which is why you will find it very difficult for world champions, is that the price fund to the winner will probably be reduced. Yeah, which already it wasn't, as it is, it wasn't enough to entice. Our... But if it's more exciting, it, it might be similar amount, but from a bigger slice. Yeah, and it does seem like Magnus is pretty much on his own in terms of uh, being unexcited by the world championship. There are certainly others who agree with him or at least not opposed to him when it comes to format changes, but uh, Ding and Nepo seem to have no hesitancy about playing in the world championship. Uh, Fabiano, I think, would have been happy to get in based on what he said on interviews. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, uh, I, I like I like your ideas, and uh, Fide has at least suggested that they'll be polling players and possibly 
making changes. And and again, traditionalists who are listening, I, I respect your opinions too. It's just, um, you know, it's um, no one's ever going to be happy with with. You can't please everyone. <laughs> I, I, I understand people who say that the candidates was very exciting when it was matches. It yeah. was, and so was the world championship. But as we have seen, as computers grown stronger, uh, the world championship has actually become the less exciting part of the cycle. Um, the Grand Prix was quite good this time, I thought. Uh, other times, the previous one I didn't like. Um, the World Cup was... Uh, was chaotic. There was some some things I didn't like, but in general, it was a good tournament. Uh, I think the the Grand Swiss was a, a good tournament. Um, I think the candidates uh, was was actually quite tarnished uh, by the the Magnus Carlsen uh, will he won't he thing, and. Uh, what we have as a result is we had the people who ended in second and third ended there because they didn't try to win the tournament. Um, Ding, of course, wanted to win the tournament, but he lost the first round and then he made six draws. He was never within reach at all. And the reason sort of he came from behind and overtook Kawana and uh, Nakamura was partly because he's a great player. I, I, you know, let's say from the starting point, Ding ending up in a match is not a bad thing at all. But uh, if you look specifically on the way Kawana played against Duda and the way uh, Nakamura played against uh, Rajabov, you can see that these players, there's something in the back of the mind where they are trying to go for wins in, in positions where the, the chess doesn't add up. It's, it's not sound chess. I was actually quite poor. Um, play, but it was some sort of desperation. Even if they maybe go to the game with the intention of let's see, just see what happens, happy with a draw, and then they're there and they cannot, you know, the the last hope feeling, and they both fell away to a, some extent based on that. Um, if you know that there are two qualify, two people qualify, then Kawana with five or seven, uh, he would he would. I don't think he wouldn't end second in that tournament. Um, the only one who actually could challenge him was Nakamura because he beat him. Um, so, so for me, this this was quite sad. And Rajapov played for a draw in absolutely every game, and then people tried desperately to beat him, and he's still a strong player, and, and he ended up third, which is one of the most bizarre things of modern yeah. chess. Uh, but he really played for a draw all the time. So. Yeah, that was the only thing that, you know, obviously I talked to a lot of candidates leading up to it. And the only thing everyone agreed on was Rajapov will, will not will not win and maybe won't finish that high. But as you say, he ended up. Uh, he ended <laughs> no, up it, 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 was, it was sort of illustrating how how bizarre the, the tournament was. It was a strange feeling like 2013 was maybe the, the greatest tournament of uh, of the 21st century. There was an immense amount of really interesting games. Even like there was a, a game between uh, Gelfand and Ivanchuk, which um, I have some, some, some deep analysis on it. I never published it, but there was a book in French uh, where it was included, uh, where I, I saw some of these ideas. And it was an absolutely immense game. And it's just an unimportant game from this tournament. But the, 
the whole play between Aronian, Kramnik, and Carlsen, and of course ending with this great finish. It was the greatest tournament of the 21st century, I think. Then 2014, where Anand won, wasn't very exciting. And now this one here was just strange. Yeah. All right. Well, Jakob, we got we to gotta talk about gotta your book. Moving. I think it's time. So, <laughs> so let's take a quick break and then discuss Jakob's excellent new chess book. Try to get you all some, uh, some chess improvement uh, lessons from, from uh, the quotes I have pulled. We'll be right back. Perpetual Chess is brought to you by our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, utilizes space repetition to help you remember opening sequences and tactical patterns. And they have a huge catalog of excellent courses and they're dropping new ones at a blistering rate. New courses include one by Grandmaster Maurice Ashley. There's the new course Grind Like a Grandmaster by Magnus Carlsen himself with his friend Grandmaster David Howell. And The Life and Games of Mikhail Tal, which is an absolute classic book, is now on Chessable. And the video is done by Ginger GM himself, Simon Williams. So be sure to go to chessable.com. They also have tons of stuff that you can check out for free. So chessable.com, check out what's new. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back and we are finally ready to discuss a matter of endgame technique, an excellent book. As always, uh, Jakob's books, uh, there's a free preview available from the Quality Chess website. You can also get the book on Forward Chess. Jakob was kind enough to send me a copy of the book, but I knew for this one I was going to need the forward chess version. So I went and got that as well so that I could play through the moves in those moments when uh, I don't have a chess set in front of me. And it's Jakob did tell me before I read it that even though the material is advanced, which it is, it's very readable, which it is. Jakob is a, is a great writer and there's lots of uh, fun quotes both about chess improvement and kind of uh, pulling from uh, other walks of life uh, as well. Um, so Jakob, I mean, there was a lot to choose from, but I pulled a few quotes that I thought maybe you could expound upon. You ready? Are you coming with the three little piggies? <laughs> I'm not. No, okay. I, I do not have the three little piggies flagged. Um, <laughs> I did, I did flag some of the, uh, whimsical ones, but not that one. Um, so one early, in uh, the can book I was... ask you a few questions about the book first? Yes. Because, you know, I'm, I'm biased, uh, you know, because, you know, whenever someone sells it, you know, it, it reflects well on my uh, my private finances. Um, so first of all, you read it on Forward Chess. It's very yes. readable on Forward Chess, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Secondly, the physical f- format, because I, you actually have the physical book. How would you describe it beyond heavy? Um, it's, I mean... Quality chess books are always beautiful, but honestly, since you since you signed the book you sent me, I didn't want to screw. I didn't want to mess it up once you signed it. So I didn't look too. I immediately decided, basically, I'm going to get this electronically. I don't. I want to keep this this beautiful signed book in good condition. So I, I can't speak too much about what the uh, the physical book looks. But you like. have, you have seen how you can put it and it will lie yeah. open, stay yeah, open, turn it open, flat, yeah. any page you can yeah. get it to keep keep flat. Was that, that like a technical challenge as a publisher? No. No? 
but but um but it does oh, look I great. that's is the quality of our books that's um, excellent so so what happened with that is the the binding of the books um we never we always thought they were fine and then uh it at 2015 uh my last round opponent uh in the scottish championship he told me after the game and I, I sort of didn't want to talk because I was watching the the, the end of another game, and if uh, if Neil Barry would win, he would take the title from me, and 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 if not, I would get it. And I was very, I was very engulfed. I sort of didn't want to talk to him about it, uh, and he he wanted to chat, and uh, and I actually cared a lot about the winning the championship of my country. <laughs> so I hope that's uh, acceptable. Um, but. Uh, but he said to us, some of the pages fall out. And it's, it's after some time, it's like, what? We we never heard this. You know, if, if you have problems with a book, you can always send it back to whoever you buy it from and, and they will get a re- replacement from us, you know, and, and it will be replaced. And then we sort of asked around and people said, yeah, yeah, everyone knows. Uh, sometimes like one out of 10 or something, uh, or one out of 20 or one out of, 50, I don't remember what it said, but it said the books start to, the pages can fall out after much use. Well, that's no good. Hmm. Like, you know, ideally, you know, people, if people just buy another one, like, you know, you wear out your headphones, you buy another headphones, they were good, but now they're done, now I need you. That would be great for the business. But reality is that people read a book and they, they don't buy it again. But when they go to buy another book, then it's sort of like, mm, should I buy it? Well, the pages fall out. So we didn't know, and we we care. You know, it's, it's not just that we don't want to have people have a bad experience. Um, so we upgraded to threaded binding uh, around then, and we use it also in our paperbacks. I think uh, I, I'm really more the the working on the screen than working with the paper. And uh, since then, the the physical quality has been quite quite better. Uh, I think. And now the, the hardbacks simply stay open and, and they're really very nice. And we don't charge much more for the hardback. It's not like in other kind of publishing where people charge two or three times uh, for the hardback than the paperback. But it's, it really is a, a much superior physical product and, and we don't really make much more money on it. Uh, so so f- for me, this is like with this book that was so scary uh, 900 pages, uh, where other, if you, I could uh, put, uh, them next to books from thinkers, every man and new in chess, and I made little piles. And then one book, which was, didn't need a pile, which was the vacancy 2021 by Daniel Fernandez. I put all the books next to each other and the 900 hardback was the same thickness as these 700 pages from the other publishers. Our pages, our paper is quite high quality and it's really slick like that. So it's nice little compact and only two kilos. Yes, yeah, and 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 you don't you're not scared of uh, intimidating your readers. At the beginning of the book, you say this is going to be a series, so <laughs> so they pick up this uh, eight hundred eighty page book or whatever it is, and the first eight hundred ninety six. Yes, yeah, first thing they see is oh, don't, don't worry, we're we're just scratching the surface here. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, true. 
And I certainly felt that way reading it. I mean, I, you know, I read it once and I could read it three more times, partially, of course, because I wanted to get ready for this interview. So I didn't go quite as slow as I would if I was trying to maximize my chess, uh, meager chess skills. But nonetheless, um, I greatly enjoyed it. And we should say for listeners, for newer listeners who aren't as familiar, Quality Chess has published so many of uh, my favorite chess books, uh, Under the Surface, Think Like a Super Grandmaster, Chess Tactics from Scratch, which we recently did a review podcast of, the Boris Gelfand books. Um, I actually have never read the Yusupov books, but everyone loves them as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, just just an amazing it, it, array it's, of It's books. nice you mentioned so many books I, I, I wrote, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> I, of course, I'm the co-writer of the Gelfand books. Right, uh, yeah. It's not a secret, but it, it, uh, we haven't really promoted uh, or... We, you know, we did, we, we, when we did, we had a book that was called uh, Understanding Chess Tactics. And then we decided at some point we wanted to change the, the layout of it because we changed our layout around 2007, 2008. Um, and we decided we, we went to reprint, but we'll change the layout. And then I came up with this idea. Why don't we put some exercises in the end? And then also, you know, I've, I got the idea for this chapter. And we talked to uh, to Martin about it, and he said, no, no, I trust you. You can put some extra things in. So understanding chess tactics from scratch, I wrote half of it, the, the, the second half. The last chapter where Katie is solving some positions, which is, talks a little bit about calculation, and then there's 300 exercises I put in. The core of the book, which what, what makes it great, is the first half. I, I, I just want to say this. I'm not. Don't want to take credit for the book. The other half is sort of like it's. It's just more material. We thought would complement the the first half of the book. Um, but I just want to say thank you for the compliment. I'm feeling oh, all sure. embarrassed no, here. It's, it's, um, it's well. It's well deserved. Yeah, and I didn't but, even mention thinking inside the uh, the box, which is uh, one of my favorites. So, oh, oh, thank uh, you very much. And and that one I, I did. You know the story about the all the photos in it, right? Uh, ref- refresh I, I, my memory. I I, 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 I I couldn't get myself to finish the book, so I made this um, uh, I made this trick on myself. I booked a, a book tour for it. <laughs> in Asia. So I went to all these Asian countries, five times in India. And then, you know, it was like really all over Asia, Hong Kong, Philippines, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand. I even went to Iran uh, to to go on the book tour. And we had T-shirts made and so on, but I didn't finish the book. So I went to a book tour without the book. And then we took all these great photos from the book tour. We put them in the book when I finally finished. So it's, it, 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 it's, it's just... I think it it in that way it encapsulate best my relationship to to what I do, which is I do my best and I'm honest about it and um and the same with this book here. Uh arguably it's five or six books in one. You you probably can confirm that. That chapter one stops at like page three hundred and seven or something like yeah. that. And that could have been a book. And yeah. from anyone else and any any other time it would have been fine. The second chapter was what the book was supposed to be which was like examples of people messing up um, in endgames and, and how we can learn from that in, in improving our technique. And then there's a, a chapter about fortresses, which I then realized should also have been a book. Then there's a chapter about rook versus bishop endings, which I sort of fell down a rabbit hole and got very interested in. 
And that could have been part of a fortress's book. So these two are together as a book. Then there's a book on exchanges. And then there's a whole book of just some annotated games. Uh, and all six, all five, six of them, six chapters, five books are in one book. And people ask me, why didn't you split it? And this thing is, I already did. There's another one coming and it's even bigger. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yes. Um, well, let's get to a few quotes from this one. Okay. Um, so first up is, uh, I will read what you wrote. A big part of chess is to play for a technical advantage. At the top level, the days of novelties leading to big advantages out of the opening are behind us. If you get any advantage out of the opening, it's cause for celebration. In my generation, there were lots of players who loved the opening more than anything else and dived deep, trying to win or draw straight from the opening. When I talk to these people today, they feel that chess is played out to some extent and all that's left is to bluff. Chess changes throughout the ages, and in our age, technique is more important than it has been for a while. Um, so if you have anything to add to that, again, having just talked to uh, to Fabiano, um, he definitely kind of echoed that sentiment. He described more of a sort of stick-and-move approach at the, uh, at the elite grandmaster level these days. So I think that's part of why that quote resonated with me. Yeah, Peter Heine-Nilsson said to me that he came to the recent conclusion that Chess is incredibly uh, interesting. The opening position has just been investigated too much. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one thing. The other thing is with the speeding up of chess. You, 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 you look like uh, you know these young people who, when you talk about the, playing without increment and adjournments, uh, like it sounds like you're something from the Middle Ages. <laughs> uh, I, I once tried to explain to Sabino Brunello why I, I, I actually don't like increment very much because. Uh, I think the players should be allowed to administrate their own time. If Grishuk wants to lose on time, this is his his thing. On the other hand, if he wants to think very deeply and have 10 seconds left and find a series of great moves, we should not take this away from him, just to make life easier for the arbiter. And Sabino just looked at me like I was literally from uh, from the dinosaur age. Hmm. And, he, and I was like, what? He said, I never played a game without increment. Wow. <laughs> so, so it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I think I lost the argument there. Um, but because of increment, because of also the, the one and a half hour, and then sometimes plus half an hour, and sometimes not, uh, but just 30 seconds, we are now in a situation where uh, you can less and less work things out by thinking. You cannot solve them so much on the board. You have to have more and more pre-existing knowledge later in the game, especially because you probably will not uh, get an advantage earlier in the game. It does happen. People still want to fight. If you put a situation like opens, like we talked about the Abu Dhabi Open, which so many great games. Um, you know, if you put incentives in, people still want to fight, both players. But if one of the players don't want to fight, you can have a problem. Uh, more and more in chess. Um, and then games have to be won over the long term and by very small thing and incrementally. And their good technical play is probably more important now than it, than it used to be. But, of course, it was always useful. Yeah. it's yeah, just it, it, I just think this is where the, the level has sort of been pushed at the moment. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and on on that topic, I, when I wrote a little bit to uh, Patreon subscribers saying that I would be finally interviewing you, which I teased many times, um, I, I 
compared your book to uh to Endgame strategy, I consider it more advanced, obviously. Um more readable also, but but more advanced. Um but yeah, it's it it's in that vein in that it's less about the uh the technical end games and more about the strategy. And and it is amazing to see how many mistakes you found, even from these uh these these top players. Um, so I thought maybe you could explain a few concepts that come up in the book just to give people a sort of preview where they can learn something chess wise, even without a set in front of them. So I hope I can, (laughs) I bet you can. Number one, the Steinitz rule. (laughs) Uh, could you, uh... okay. So this is, uh, I learned this from Arthur Yusupov. It's essentially don't make unnecessary pawn moves. Uh, the simplest, uh, simplest way to say it is that. Uh, when we think of the end game, we have to remember that the main way to win the end game is pawn promotion. The w- main way to win the middle game and the opening, or win in the uh, middle game and, and opening, is through checkmate. Now, you can find uh, pawn promotion winning in very, like, six, seven in some games, and you can find checkmate in the end game. Uh, but we're talking about predominant uh, occurrences. And uh, in the end game, there are some uh, some features that don't exist in other phases of the game. Uh, specifically, it's um, a stalemate and it's a sukswang. So we do have early sukswang positions. We do have crazy sukswang positions. Sometimes, um, but but you know it happens very rarely that, that we have them without few many pieces on the board and normally it's just like something the computer senders. There's a famous Ivan Adams game. There's a famous Nipsovich game and and so on. But but it's really they're famous because they're so rare. Um, but in the end game, uh, often passing the move to the opponent is incredibly important. So the 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 purest form of the end game, let's say, is the pawn ending. Is so much dominated by Sukhswang. We normally call it opposition because it's just the kings and they're across from each other, but it's Sukhswang. It's forced to move. And if you can make this extra move with the pawn, then uh, you often can create Sukhswang and the other. That's one out of many reasons why um, you shouldn't make unnecessary pawn moves. So you shouldn't commit before you know you're committed to something you actually want. Yeah. By the by the way, as an aside, the the fortress chapter was intense, Jakob. That was that was some, <laughs> that was some impressive stuff. I could spend my life re- rereading that chapter alone. Um, but but some really cool examples. The, the three little pickies, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that you've teased it, first of all, you have to refresh my memory, and you should you should uh, you should give our listeners the reference. Okay. So for me, uh, fortresses are. Uh, not the way we usually use it in language, because my 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 sole perspective is always how do you play better. I'm a I'm a chess improvement uh, person. I I'm a trainer. I write books that are chess improvement books, and and my focus is always how do we play better. And what, what, one of the basic answers to that is we we think in different ways. We recognize patterns we maybe even didn't know before. Or by learning them, by that's what we call understanding, or we can improve our technical way of thinking, organizing our thoughts, and so on. So bringing us to the three little piggies, which seems a little bit beside this here. Um, for me, a fortress is a strategy. It's not, a, uh, it's not necessarily if it holds as a fortress. If it doesn't, it's not a fortress. 
I like to think of it as a strategy. We take the strategy of rather than seeking any form of counterplay, we're just holding our ground. Now, if you try to have a whole uh, a whole board uh, fortress, I call that a blockade. Happens very often in minor peace endings. If you try to just hold, you know, like in a little corner, I call it the bunker. There's some fortresses which rely on counterplay and so on. But we can also put the, the fortresses in terms of quality. So they are fortresses that break very easily. And he huffed and he puffed. And the, the, the house of hay fell over. But he could have taken it down with a hose. You know, mm. he could have burned it down. He, you know, like, it's just like whatever you want. Just go straight through. You know, you could just run into it. You know, the, the fortress is a, a very pathetic attempt. And the little piggy had little piggy had to run to his brother, and then we went to the house of wood. Now you can run into it and hit your head. You can uh, put water on it. You can try all kind of huff and puff and it didn't work. But if you set fire to it, it works. It burns down, and that's a fortress that only breaks, uh, breaks in one way. And they are actually the predominant type of fortress. Then finally, you have the fortress made of brick, which is the fortress that just holds. Now, if you open the door, then uh, you will get eaten. <laughs> and as so it is if you make a mistake in a fortress position in, in chess. Um, but with, with, with decent play or, or best play, uh, a fortress that holds is for me the third one from the three little piggies. Yeah, and lots of examples of uh, grandmasters being in positions where they tried to do too much. They didn't. They didn't well, just. Uh... Some, some, sometimes, I think chess is just incredibly difficult, and sometimes some of the some people didn't really understand these things, and they're very good at other things. Like they, they, there is no such thing as a grandmaster who is not good at chess. It it doesn't happen. Maybe Muammar Gaddafi, but he died. So <laughs> I, I, I do I do think it was a mistake for William Sinov to give him the Grandmaster title, but he did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, one or two other nuggets to uh, tease listeners with from the book. We've given them the Steinitz rule. What about the Shanklin rule, Jakob? Oh, now you put me in a spot. <laughs> okay, so we tease Sam with this a lot. So Sam, uh, he did a DVD series for iChess at some point, which is now part of, well, everyone's a part of the group now, yeah? Uh, but they, they were a, a Play Magnus company, and now they're Chess.com company soon. Um, but he did this, uh, the Shanklin method, I think it was. And one of the things he explains in it is the Shanklin rule, which could be reduced to, okay, this thing I want to do which isn't working, I should actually think about what happens if I do it anyway. Is there maybe something uh, extra uh, it does is there some surprise down the line? Is there some reason why this thing that positionally or in other way dynamically should work but has a, a problem? Is there something against it? And uh, it sounds incredibly much like something I wrote about in Excelling at Chess, which was published, I think, a year before Sam started playing chess. <laughs> and since I have been Sam's coach for um, over nine years, and explained a lot of these things to him. It sort of sounds like he put his name on uh, on uh, on something I had explained to him. Um, 
And that's why we never forget to call it the Shangton rule. So we always remind him of it. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. We it, it's uh, uh, we are we are childish people, and we're still children inside, even if we're in grown-up bodies. Yeah. Well, I do think it's a useful construct. Yeah. And it is. It is very useful. It's yeah. also very useful in chess sense. Otherwise, it would be on Twitter and not in the book. And we have another question from a Patreon supporter relating to thinking inside the box, actually, Jakob, which is from Akko Hadari, who writes... Um, I know Akko, yeah. Okay. He's a big fan of yours, and he writes, he's currently reading your great book, Thinking Inside the Box, and he says he remembers that you mentioned it's a must for everyone, and he's really enjoying it. So he's wondering if there are other books that you think it would be great for many players to read. Um, well, I... If I say it's a must for everyone, that doesn't sound like me. Um, I'm, I would probably say something like, if you only want to read one of my books, then Thinking Inside the Box is uh, is, is, is probably the one you should choose. Um, I, I, I think it's my most uh, um, comprehensive book, uh, even if it's now not the longest. Uh, but are there other great books to read? There are so many. Uh, well, I, I, I like uh, the books I wrote with Boris a lot. They, especially the first one, I think, came out really, really well. Uh, positional decision-making in chess. Um, I think uh, you mentioned uh, Jan Marcus Under the Surface. I think that's an incredibly intelligent book. Um, There's so so many great. You mentioned I think like a super grandmaster uh, by Mick Adams and Phil Hotato, which is a a, a wonderful book. Um, a lot of our customers really enjoyed uh, chess structures. Uh, a grandmaster oh, yeah. guide. Oh yeah, how could I forget? <laughs> it's uh, the sequel is coming. Oh, is it? it, you know, I interviewed... it it's like longer ago than uh, the last volume of. Uh, of uh, Game of Thrones, <laughs> that's what was yeah. written. But uh, but the sequel is now coming. It's uh, the author is rewriting things, but he's essentially finished after uh, eight years or something. Yeah, I mean, I interviewed him like three years ago, and he he mentioned he was working on another book then. So I've been wondering. Yeah, he's so a lot of things. You know, he's not a, a chess professional, as, right? As I understand it, and I, I have to say, I've, I had I typeset the book, but I like I had nothing to do with it. Besides, really, I, I really. typeset it. It's uh, uh, Flos Rias is, is really this is his thinking, and then John has edited it, and he always does really great work. Uh, so, so these are good books. Um, I, 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 I want to mention books. I, 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 I read more books from other publishers. I'm just thinking about who I should elevate. Um, I'm. I like Johan Helstein's books a lot. Yeah. Uh, I also like Johan Helstein a lot, even though I haven't seen him for like twenty-five years or twenty wow. years. Um, but we were we were teammates in Sweden and, and, and knew each other as as, as juniors. And uh, so they're great books by a great man. Um, Seven Deadly Chess Sense from uh, Jonathan Rausen is a great book. Um, there is a book called. Um, 
Also, it's Jermo Lynch's book, uh, the, road oh, the Road to Chess, to chess Improvement. Road to Chess Improvement, which I thought was 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 quite a quite a great book. It really influenced me at the time. Um, okay, I'd say you've given us plenty. <laughs> that's that's that's, a start. that's for middle game books. Uh, I, 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 game Changer by Matthew Sattler. I I thought some of the book was. Uh, not great, and some of the books was absolutely fantastic. And I think Matthew is is maybe the greatest thinker we have, uh, you know, in the in the twenty first century in, in in chess. And and people should should always re- read his books. Um, to mention someone current, uh, not just if I don't mention not just short winning and even Sokolov, uh, uh, Magnus Carlsen's Chess Evolution, I would be fired. These are the the two best books we published for in, in 2021, and, and, and we're immensely proud of them. Excellent. Yeah, so many good books. And we got one more question from Eko, and then we, we got a few more topics if you're up for it, Jakob. Um, so Eko, and you mentioned in um, your newest book that you worked with Ali Reza in 2017, Ali Reza Ferruja, of course. And Eko asks what you think Ali Reza should, needs to do to become the next world champion. Okay, so I should say that Akko is uh, is from from Iran originally. He lives now in in, in the U.S. Um, and and, and uh, he's really a, really a, a wonderful human being. Um, so yeah, I, I on the book tour, sort of I had various stops. So I went in the last book stop. I went and stayed with Hamid Reza and Ali Reza in their house in uh, Tehran, and we worked for a few days. I do not claim any. Any credit for, for Ali Reza's great uh, leaps in, in chess? I think first and foremost that always belongs to the player, anyway. Uh, but but anyway, I, I was I, I I observed him and and spent time with him, and and it was a in, incredibly enjoyable time, and a very very nice kid and very nice uh, uh, family. Um, I think we saw. Uh, that he's not as strong as his rating was in the candidates. Um, I think, first and foremost, he needs to keep fighting at the top level. Uh, he's very good at having big fights. I think that's very important for a young player. He needs to analyze his games and needs to find out which types of mistakes he is making. Um, he had problems with tension in the candidates. Now, if you check out the game against Firusha and it's Sharp Nidov, uh, it was clear that Nepomniachtchi wasn't really prepared for for this very sharp line, and uh, we got some messy position. And at some point, uh, White has a bishop on f1. There's a rook on h1, rook on d1. There's a bishop on c4, which is defended by a pawn on d5. It's around move 21, I think. And Alireza took on f1. And simply releasing the tension, bringing out the rook from h1 into the game without any actual benefit. And if he realizes that, and there were other games in the in the candidates where we saw these kind of things. So it's like I was in Charlotte at the time. I was giving a camp and then, you know, went back to the room in the evening and then looked at the candidates games. And then uh, some of them we, we looked at then the next day. And, and I explained things like, tension and so on. Like I explained it one day and the next day I come with a game from the candidates and here we have tension, you know, like you have to keep the tension. If you release the tension, 
you have to have some sort of reward because often you are giving something when you're releasing, in this case here, activating an opponent's rook. And the game was basically lost after this mistake. And what I think is the most important next step for Alirisa is to sort of have a lot of these fighting games, lose some of them, win some of them, which you will do, and then uh, get used to the level at top and um, yeah, analyze his games and, and, and make these kind of observations and improve gradually. Makes sense. And we should remind listeners, we're recording this before the Sinkfeld Cup starts, but uh, it will be well underway, if not over, by the time this comes out. So whatever Ali Reza does there, uh, we, are, we are not um, not addressing that. Yeah, the now, opening ceremony is a few hours away from, from where we are now. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jakob, you mentioned Charlotte, and we've got one more Patreon question relating. Obviously, you've done lots of camps there. Uh, Friends of the pod, Peter Giannatos is always a, a star when he comes on uh, Perpetual Chess. Shout out to Peter. But uh, the question relates to your resurgent OTB career. <laughs> so well, I wouldn't uh, call it a career. No, 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 no. <laughs> like it, co- it cost me money to go there. That's not a career. Yeah, and no, they, they, they pay they pay me something, but you know it's very expensive to come from from Europe, and then there's an, a hotel, and I don't want to share a room because I'm old and grumpy. And then you know it just costs more for me to play than they actually can can reimburse me. So I pay to play there, although not okay. everything. Yeah. So it's I, not a career. <laughs> yeah, I, I kid, but uh, but obviously it goes without saying that uh, that you in poor form is I, I would dream of being you in poor form when it comes to playing chess. But anyway, let's get to the question, which is from a longtime friend and supporter of the pod, Chris Wainscott, who says, uh, Jakob, Hi, Chris. Please for, Jakob, please forgive me for comparing you with Dvoretsky as it might make you blush. But Dvoretsky mentioned in his excellent autobiographical works for friends and colleagues that he felt it was important for trainers to play occasionally so as to not completely lose touch with what their students go through. Do you feel the same way? And did that factor into your decision to play in Charlotte a few times recently? Uh, yes, I do. I do feel that way. Uh, I think playing is, uh, is very useful. Um, I think also learning something which you're not good at is very important. So I take guitar lessons, or I did take guitar lessons. Now I'm going to try some some self-learning in that uh, going forward. Uh, And also I've taken many tennis lessons in my time. Uh, But I think it's important trying to be a student and always remember how it is to be a student. Uh, I think it's important to think without the computer running because when the computer is running, then it's a very different experience. Everything becomes obvious. Um, but no, I, uh, that is not why I played in Charlotte uh, or in Spain, where I also played twice. Uh, it was tournaments organized by friends. Um, it was chances to go and hang out with friends and also spend a little time playing chess. And... Uh, some people have uh, said, why did you go and play when you just made short draws? And I will actually take a little bit of offense by that because it's not true. Now, first of all, I'm European and I'm old. <laughs> and we don't play double rounds. Right. <laughs> we don't do double rounds. We especially don't do it for old people. I understand Americans have less holiday and it's a different reality. 
so that's the first thing. Uh, so when I am black and the opponent is happy with a, with a quick draw uh, in, in these close tournaments where I was the second oldest and then I was the oldest in, in the groups, uh, I take them. And the first time I won uh, three games with white and uh, two times in with white, I tried to do something, got in trouble, and then I, I, I held the draw. With neutralize, I realized I got in trouble quite early in the game. One game was like 28, 29 moves. The other game was like 22 moves. And I, I made the draws after getting into trouble. Uh, and then I won three ga games with white. And then I won one game with black, and I made three short draw with black. And for me, this is um, absolutely me singling out a lot of people that should uh, play for win with white. Second time around uh, with white, I absolutely played for a, a win, uh, three out of the four white games. Uh, two of them I could have won. Uh, but the first one of it, I blundered a pawn in uh, move 11. I then fought and fought and fought, got into a drawn rook ending. I held the draw, and then I made a move in one second, which is something I teach everyone not to do, which shows that when you get older, then things start to go wrong, uh, and lost in one move. Just simply like lost a drawn position in one move. And my opponent had pressured me, and you know it was a long game, and, and, and this is actually a part of the technique. Like he kept a little bit of thing. I had solved a lot of problems. It was draw, uh, but I think physically I, I sort of lost concentration and then I moved impulsively. I wasn't in control of my impulses, which is a teenage mistake for me. I, I didn't used to do that later. Um, and okay, I, I lost the game and I was a little bit disappointed, but all I can say is like no one cares <laughs> really, <laughs> but but I made uh, I made some some quick draws with black, um, two of them straight out of the box. One of them uh, against Messia, where I got even I think a slightly more pleasant position. After ten eleven moves, I offered him a draw, and then I was fighting in my white game. But then the last round, after I lost against um, uh, Casacoli. Uh, my, my now my countryman to be. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I thought okay, this is this is enough. But I have to say for the second tournament that so many things happened between us. That yes to playing there, and actually it was time to go. That by the time I went there, I I was not very in the right headspace to play. And if you're a grandmaster in a close grandmaster event, you show up, and you just. I, I I played my white games. I tried to play. Um, but I owe it to the organizers and the other players to show up. Uh, people want to try to make a grandmaster norm. My job is to be there to try to prevent it. Um, and I did my my best, which this on this occasion wasn't great. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I was tired. I was focusing on other things. There's really a lot happening in our in our private lives, um, which you probably want to want to break the news because it's yeah. Well, you just hinted at it. People, I just hinted you, at it. Yeah, yeah. When you say Casa Carly is your your My compatriot, you're not you're not emigrating to the I'm United States. Then. No, I'm not immigrating to the United States, but because Casa once won the B group in the Danish Championship, 
and has Danish ancestry and was at the time, although as simply as a, as a gap year living in Denmark, he did qualify to be Danish. Uh, and he chose to change so he could play in the Danish championship. And uh, I have since 2016 represented Scotland, but haven't actually played for Scotland. Uh, I played in the online Olympiad one time, um, but I haven't played in the national team. And I was very happy not to go last two times when both times I realized it meant that Freddie Gordon uh, would go instead of me because he's by far the biggest talent Scottish chess has had since Jonathan Rousen. Uh, he's he's 11 now and he plays fine. In, in Unfortunately, in Chennai, he got COVID halfway through the tournament, but, but he was doing fine. Uh, and he's learning a lot from it. And um, yeah, we we are emigrating. Uh, we're moving from Glasgow to Copenhagen in something like 35 days, 36 days. Uh, so we just actually closed on a, renting a house this morning. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm sure that's a relief. Yeah, well, there were some options, but uh, since we already sold, <laughs> it's nice to have a place to move to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we decided um, a long time ago that I decided a long time ago I, I didn't necessarily want to get old in the UK. I felt uh, socially and also structurally the way things work here that it would not be a great thing for me. Uh, I have kids. Uh, I'm divorced. I have kids uh, through my my first uh, first marriage, and they are now at the age where they can take a flight to Denmark. And actually, would rather fly to Denmark for a week than come here uh, every every Wednesday and eat a bit, watch TV, and go to bed. Mm-hmm. So for them, it's actually an upgrade experience. Uh, I don't neglect my responsibilities as father and the the experience of COVID and post-COVID here in the UK has, and post-Brexit has, has not been pleasant. Um, and it is in no way a criticism of the many great people, exclusively great people uh, that I've met in Scottish chess. Uh, I, I, I really, really have enjoyed um, being part of Scottish chess, and hopefully, I will continue to be a part of Scottish chess. But I have decided that since I'm going to go and I'm going to live in Denmark, and it's probably where they're going to put me in a box one time and put me in the ground, that I'm also going to change back my nationality to the Danish flag. Um, but I say emigrating. I'm not going home because this is this is a weird thing. This is home, and I'm going to go and live in another country, and hopefully one day there will be home. Okay. Well, we 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 wish you continued luck with uh, with the move. I know it's a big change, uh, big disruption. So I'm sure listeners want to know, Jakob, it's not affecting quality chess or killer chess training operations. No, no. I we have. Uh, I know that people. Uh, have heard scary stories from Bernie Sanders about uh, universal healthcare and and uh, and things <laughs> like that. But I can promise you that uh, 
the actual technical experience of life in Denmark will 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 surpass Scotland quite a bit. So the internet has reached Denmark already, and it's actually of very high quality. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I work from home already, so it's uh, it's just going to be a different home. Okay. And you'll still be able to teach your teach your classes um, and so on. Um, anything we should say about uh, about killer chess training before we wrap up, Jakob? Yeah, so we we started with a a little academy uh, two and a half years ago, um, and uh, we started together with Ramesh, and we had some disagreement about how how the academy should be and what was the spirit and intention of the academy. And it's sort of a shame that we didn't get this talked out in advance, but this is what can happen when, you know, one live in, in one country and one live in the other country. We both have busy lives. Uh, but during the, 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 the first summer of our academy, uh, we came to the realization that we wanted very different things. And then we with a bit big and uh, back and forward about who was going to continue the academy and and so on. At some point, I suggested to Ramesh that that we buy him out and that he go and do the academy he wanted because the academy we had was not what he wanted and what 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 he wanted the academy to be, and it was what what I wanted, and especially what Kalia wanted. The academy is Kalia's much more than it is anyone else. She created it. She's the constant support. Um, she is, uh, is organizing everything. I'm a, I'm a coach there, and I'm I'm head coach. Um, the third owner is Sam Shankland, uh, who's also giving lots of classes. We have classes every day. Sometimes we have several classes. Um, we now have have grown a bit in the last two years, so we changed the name because we thought it was fair to Ramesh that. There was no like he used to be a part of. So we changed the name. We went with Killer Chess Training because of what was available on the interweb and all the coaches liked it better than the the, the name we had already. We have a lot of, of good coaches. Um, continuously, we have uh, Sam Shankland, we have Sabino Brunello, Julian Arismendi, Renia Castellanos. Then, uh, for, probably forgetting someone, this is... This is Enough, did you mention? No, then we have occasional guys. So we have okay. uh, people who are very active players uh, or doing other things who occasionally come. Oleksenko, uh, uh, Mikhail Oleksenko, we have is, is, is fairly continuous. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful Ukrainian guy. Uh, grandmaster, very strong grandmaster. So we have occasional guys. We have Adams, Cheparinov, even Sokolov, uh, Alexander Motilev, even Salgado, who do classes with us when they have time, uh, which is, is not not as frequent and not as continuous, and, and their commitment is, is slightly less uh, to the academy, which is fine. We are lovely to have them when they have time, and when they don't have time, we the rest of us have to be available. Um, we have lessons every day. Um, the cost is somewhere like 764 euros, which I think today is $764. Basically, per year, <laughs> we should say. Per year. We have a monthly uh, membership of 149 um, You can 
you can go in and re review uh, classes of active courses. So we have like courses. Normally they're like 10, 13 uh, episodes. Uh, I'm currently doing Rook Endings, which is on number 27 or something like that, and is, is not finished. Um, but you can, while they're ongoing, you can always review previous episodes. You can always see the classes from the, the last few weeks. And there is more material than anyone will be able to, be, to get through. We also have a weekly homework in two levels. We have friendly, which is sort of, it's not that friendly, but it's, it's friendlier. And we have killer homework. We have people who are like 26, 2700 doing the killer homework. And we're basically from like 21, 2200. And the other homework is um, up to that level. Some of it is, is quite accessible. Some of it is, is, is more resistance, um, which the members send their solution to us and we mark them and give them sort of suggestions of, uh, you know, maybe, you know, like if it's a, a simple decision, so a positional decision, we maybe just like mark a few things, notice the weakness here, here, and, and this is the worst place piece, and, and, and this is the opponent's idea. And sometimes like that, sometimes something verbal, sometimes it's just explaining a, a tactical variation doesn't work because this is a refutation. So people have a chance to look again before we do the interactive live classes on a Tuesday, which again is also recorded. You can go to Chess Tempo afterwards, which is a fabulous website, um, which if people haven't don't know Chess Tempo, they should check it out. Uh, even though it's not a member of uh, the big umbrella of, <laughs> of everything else. Um, it, but there we, we simply upload the course materials so people can go through them. Uh, there they cannot be downloaded. We also do opening repertoires. Basically, we are uh, providing a huge amount of, of service, uh, more than anyone can digest. Uh, so you should pick and choose what, what's for you. And it's uh, at one fee, and uh, basically it, it gives people, I think, a really, really good uh, experience. Uh, we have many happy members. We have many successful members, people making IM norms, IM title, GM norms, GM title, national championships, and people who win their local class championship, who win the weekenders, who improve from 1,400 to 1,800. Like, it, it is not... It's it's a big uh, it's a big tent. Everyone is is welcome. So what we always say: if you want to spend time with nice people and and get better at chess, you should check us out. Excellent, definitely nice people. Yeah, and listeners who heard uh, Doug Ecker in um, the Master to I Am episode and friend of the pod John Hartman is a member, so you can always reach out uh, to different people if you want to uh, find out what it's like. And you guys give free brief previews as well right Jakob, if, uh, you can go you can go on the youtube and and we have a number of videos or actually if you just want to see how an inter how the live class works just write to kalia on on our facebook uh, account and most okay. of the time it's just it's just very basic but most of the times you will if you beg her for a can I can I try a class? You should just send your link. Ooh. Excellent. And we should say Kalia is your business partner and life partner. And we yes. will put the links to uh to everything that, that you've mentioned uh in, in the show description. Um well Jakob, 
as always, super generous with your time. We had so much stuff to talk about. Um, is there anything that you're regretting that I didn't ask you? Yeah, couldn't you have asked me sort of keep it short? <laughs> you should have asked me. <laughs> no, there, there, there's uh, there's a, a story I want to tell. A girlfriend told me this. So the, the local organizer in Israel organized this uh, rapid match between girlfriend and, and Schwitler. And uh, after uh, you know Schwitler agreed to to play, the organizer asked him um, if it would not be too much of a, a burden. After the games, do you think it would be possible to come and talk a little bit about them? And say, as Hitler said, you know, even if you try to stop me, you will not succeed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm a little bit the same. If you, if you give me a, a microphone, I'm like I'm Schwarzenegger. I'll say any nonsense, and then hopefully <laughs> it will be edited afterwards. No, well, not not much editing going to happen. Listeners will enjoy every minute as I have. So every hour, every hour, <laughs> every hour. Yes. So uh, thanks as always, and uh, I will catch you online as can everyone listening. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Benny Fischel One on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, Ben at PerpetualChessPod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.